It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 18 of Sports Day Plus. At 645, where are we at in society? Florida man is about to get his own Olympic Games. Does it really count if there aren't actual alligators involved? At 6.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas on Longhorn Football and whether Quinn Ewers will actually play this Saturday against the TCU Horn Frogs. And a mere seconds, Texas stands pat in the latest college football playoff rankings. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at CourtesyWave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. The latest college football playoff rankings were revealed last night, and no real surprises. That does include the Texas Longhorns showing up at number seven. Not a surprise because all the teams in front of them won last weekend. And while I do see some Texas fans grumbling, about the Longhorns being behind Oregon right now. I think it's important that we still all take these rankings with a large grain of salt. There is another month or so to go in the season that does include conference championship games, and it does feel like right now, if Texas handles its business the rest of the way against a pretty mediocre to bad last three games on the regular season schedule before if they can take care of that business, making it to the Big 12 championship game to take on what looks like Oklahoma State right now, they should find their way into the college football playoff. But one thing at a time. This is a Texas team, after all, that has looked shaky on offense in the second halves of two of the last three games and isn't exactly world beaters when it comes to capitalizing in the red zone against Kansas State last weekend. This is my first show since the Kansas State game. Unexpectedly off last night. I apologize for that, but I am back tonight. Uh, The Kansas State game was a mixed bag on offense, and thankfully, if nothing else, the defense was really good. Even if technically they were part of the reason why Kansas State was able to get back into the game, that was more the result of The Texas offense not doing a good enough job of taking care of the football and allowing K-State with some short fields that saw them score three touchdowns in under four minutes' time. The defense seems to have addressed a number of the issues plaguing it over the previous handful of games going back to that Oklahoma contest. Still some questions about their ability to cover, a good passing attack, And if TCU this coming weekend does one thing well on offense more consistently than the others, it is throwing the football at times. Although the backup that they have in there with Chandler Morris still out with an injury, uh, he has shown a propensity to throw interceptions too. But keep that in mind. But also know the Texas defense is still the biggest reason why you should believe this team can make some postseason noise and perhaps win a first Big 12 title for Texas in the last Big 12 title that they have a chance to win since all the way back in 2009. But the offense is a mixed bag. Against Kansas State last weekend, 
Malik Murphy was really good in the first quarter plus. But after that, after we got through that initial game script that Steve Sarkeesian and an offensive staff put together, and Kansas State also changing some things and running less man and more zone defense, Malik was forced to do more in the way of reading said defense and find open receivers, and he just didn't do a very good job of that. Period. Far too often throwing into coverage. He had another ball that he just kind of threw up that was easily intercepted by the opposition. Same thing happened against BYU, although that was earlier in the game. And when he isn't given those easy one reads where he knows exactly where he's going with the football before the ball is snapped, he is really struggling right now. And that's not a knock on Malik. That is to point out that this is a guy who just made his second career college start after essentially sitting the previous year plus off, going all the way back to high school when he was actually taking snaps and worried about getting hit. Yeah, he's appeared in mop-up duty at times over these last couple of years, but not with the pressure of being the guy against a, a top 25 opponent who is trying really hard to stop you. There is an adjustment that's required there. Malik is still trying to make it right now. And in the meantime, has made some really poor decisions while also giving you some good over these last couple of games. And that is why it feels like we are seeing and hearing Steve Sarkeesian gently apply some pressure on Quinn Ewers to come back to serve as the starting QB for this football team this weekend. In his Monday presser a couple of days ago, Sark essentially said, look, Quinn has gone from week to week to day to day now, and a lot of it's in his court, and he needs to ask himself how he feels and whether he's ready to go. And it's an interesting question for a guy who is projected to be a day one or day two draft pick in next April's NFL draft. There is still some room for him to grow, but if he feels like he's ready and he's getting the proper draft grades then you don't fault him at all for going. And one thing that could derail that is further injuring his shoulder with an injury to the AC joint that is very easy to set back to square one. And according to those people I've spoken with behind the scenes, he's not at 100% right now. He's not close to 100%. He may be 70, maybe 80% right now, but he's not at 100% and likely won't be for another week or two. But if you think that it's that important that you get him in the game this weekend against TCU and your Steve Sarkeesian and your team's livelihood is on the line, that livelihood being accomplishing your goal of making it to the Big 12 title game and winning that final conference championship here in the Big 12 and maybe making it into the college football playoff, yeah, you need Quinn Ewers out there sooner rather than later. There's a balance to be struck there, though. Remember, Jatavian Sanders played against OU, and he was maybe a net negative in that game, despite the fact that he's one of the best tight ends in college football, still clearly very injured and may have been better off not playing in that game. Quinn Ewers gets hurt against TCU, then all of a sudden the viability of that decision becomes obvious pretty quickly. I hope that doesn't happen, 
but it's also something that needs to be kept in mind with a guy coming off of an AC joint injury. An AC joint can get injured again and set you back to square one in the healing process very, very quickly. And it's in his throwing shoulder too, which adds to the complexity of the issue. I have felt all throughout this week as the question has become, does Quinn Ewers play? That he probably sits one more week out but comes back for the Iowa State game. But I don't know, and that's why one of the reasons why I'm interested to talk to Justin Wells coming up over the next couple of segments because he is much more dialed in than I am, and he has a much better pulse on how these things tend to play out. So he may be able to shine a little bit more light on that. But the bottom line is, is that if Malik Murphy is playing in his third game, but his first road game as a starting quarterback for Texas, some of those concerning trends over these last few weeks can become very magnified in front of that raucous away crowd, or the raucous home crowd for TCU, but it's going to be an away crowd for Malik and the Longhorns. And those mistakes... That BYU didn't do a very good job of turning into points. That Kansas State did a better job of turning into points. If those things happen earlier in the game, then all of a sudden you might be staring down the barrel of a deficit heading into halftime. And at that point, if Quinn isn't available, do you trust putting in Arch Manning, a true freshman with literally zero snaps at the college level, to his record? Or do you stick with Malik at that point with your season goals on the line? Fascinating to see how all of this plays out. And we're going to continue this conversation coming up over the next couple of segments with Justin Wells of Inside Texas. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It is a Wednesday at 6.15, which means it is time for my weekly conversation with the great Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. You hear him for a couple of segments on Wednesday starting right now. Justin, always a pleasure. How are you doing this week? Man, we're making it. Trey, got a World Series champion Texas Rangers team, still, still pumping off that flow and energy and excitement and then tcu's in town they got the number seven or going to headed texas headed to tcu the numbers they got number seven in the college football playoff there's a lot going on man We, we we got a lot of stuff to cover Yes, we do, and we might get into the college football playoff rankings because I still feel that at this point in the year, you need to take those rankings with a large grain of salt. Things will work themselves out. Teams that you feel slighted by them being ahead of you right now, that may change in the coming weeks, and it starts with you taking care of your business, which ultimately Texas was able to do against Kansas State last weekend. It wasn't pretty for the last uh, two-plus quarters, But Texas got its act together enough in overtime in terms of being able to kick a longer field goal, but also the defense standing strong when they had to and turning Kansas State away on a fourth and goal from the sixth long uh, yard line to preserve a victory. As much as the victory may have tasted a little bit sour, it was a victory over a top 25 opponent here in Austin, and you don't have a ton of chances at, uh, at games like that this year. But Texas passed another test with their backup quarterback in there, too. 
Yeah, there's no sour tasting wins, Trey. We got to eliminate that. If it's sour tasting and you need a, a new liquid, um, that thing, listen, you got a W against a good team, the best defense in the Big 12. Listen, this is a game I feel like Sark and this group probably lose over the last few years. And we've seen a few of those in the last few weeks. Games that maybe they don't they don't finish in the last couple of years, but for some reason this year, this group, this team, this culture, they're figuring out ways to win. They're playing really well in the fourth quarter. They're they're buckling down. And I, I think it's a combination of getting some guys back. Ryan Watts was tremendous. He looks like he's finally healthy. Um I think top to bottom though, that fourth, that that four downs, that four that that, that stand in overtime. I mean, it, it, listen, they're lucky that thing went into overtime. If Kansas State doesn't shank the kick before that, my actually prediction hits dead nut <laughs> when Kansas <laughs> State winning by three. Yeah. It was it, it was close. But you know what? Every team that's had a memorable season has had a few of these type wins where things you get a couple breaks. Listen, the Texas defensive line is not going to get a holding call against them for the rest of as long as Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat are on the field, they're not going to get it. But they will get little breaks here and there. And I think Kansas State, Ryan Watts did a tremendous job of baiting Howard on that last play. It was a game that – it's one of those things where you could just – got to look at it from a different angle. Like, if you want to find the negatives, you can look at that game and we can narrow three or four of those things down. If you want to look at the positives, we can narrow that thing down to five or six things that went really well. It was kind of one of those games where it just went back and forth. Chris Clemens and a – a tremendous coach. He's done a tremendous job there. But overall, I, I think Malik Murphy in the first quarter and Malik Murphy in the fourth quarter were much, much better than Malik Murphy in the second and third. I thought the fact that they stuffed the run, they literally reminded Kansas State of how much they missed Deuce Vaughn. But at the end of the day, that was a team that was playing really well, Trey. That was a hot team that, that knew who they were. That game at some point thought was going to be a blowout. And I think that's a trend with Texas wins this year. It appears to be a blowout, and then once you blink, it's a one-possession game before halftime, and you, you're you sitting there shaking your head like, all right, how did we get here? Saturday was a culmination of this season, and I think it's, it's a good boost of confidence heading into TCU because, look, the last three games are TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. Texas has some real bad blood with TCU and Tech. So you don't have to motivate those guys as much. Knocking off a Kansas State team like they did gives this group some confidence, gives them the will that they can finish. And I think that overcomes some of the flaws that we saw. What was the difference in Malik Murphy in the first quarter and the final drive of the fourth quarter versus the Malik Murphy that we saw for much of the second quarter until nearly the end of the game? I think Kansas State was running man early. And then after he hit Adnan Mitchell for the touchdown, and they I think they kicked a, a field goal after that. Um, they went to they went to zone. They went to a three high safety, and that's kryptonite for for Texas quarterbacks. Uh, Sark, that's Sark's. He that that's hard to figure out for those guys. And so Malik was having a really hard time adjusting to the flyover defense. In the fourth quarter, the final drive, I think they just gave him a lot of good one reads. Listen, Xavier Worthy started getting bracketing in the second quarter, which is why Adnan Mitchell had eight catches for 149 yards and a touchdown. And so I think they were just giving him that one read, that inside slant. K K KSU was giving it to it, was letting him have it. 
And then the fourth down conversion to Jatavian Sanders, that's one of those, hey, that's a great play, but also that's what you're supposed to do when you have a Jatavian Sanders. You find him on a fourth and four because he's going to catch it if you throw it around him. And so I think Kansas State just kind of mixed things up. They they showed Malik some things he wasn't used to, some things he wasn't comfortable with, on top of the fact that even though Texas ran the ball incredibly well, and I think we talked about that last week about how if if Texas can run for over 200 yards and control the tempo and the clock, they're going to win this game. They were able to do that, but Malik still reverts to bad habits whenever things get down. He throws off his back foot. He doesn't make all his reads. Uh, he doesn't know how to scramble and, and 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 doesn't know how to throw the ball away often. And so we're seeing good and bad of a fresh of a, of a, of, a, of a new quarterback, a red shirt freshman quarterback. We're seeing the good and the bad of that, and that's dangerous, Trey. That is super dangerous when your team is trying to make it into the college football playoff. But they escaped on Saturday. Well, and the reality also is Justin, and people don't think about this. They just see a guy who is highly rated coming out of high school and has been a part of the program, and you so you assume that a guy is just going to step step in and there's not going to be much of an adjustment. But for a lot of these guys, and by the way, this is the case with Carson Beck at Georgia this year, who sat for, I want to say, three years before getting his chance this year. Those guys are sitting for a long time and not taking reps with the threat of getting hit there. That, along with the speed of the game, is a major adjustment for a guy who most recently took snaps that mattered at the high school level which he did in California a couple of years ago and it seems like that is the issue part of the time with some of those back foot throws or him just kind of panicking and throwing the ball towards what looks like just a whole lot of uh, empty green space for him but it turns out in two of those occasions one against BYU and one against K-State last weekend there was nobody except a defender sitting there for an easy interception and, and being able to take the ball the other way. And, you know, the DBs have helped Malik out. Let me tell you, they, yeah. they've dropped some picks. So they've helped him out. I think TCU is going to have so much more athleticism in that back seven. And I think, I think these are just the growing pains of Malik Murphy. But at the same time, you've got a starting quarterback that's taking reps in practice this week. You've got a returning quarterback that, that, that could be on deck to play Saturday. I'd be a little surprised if he wasn't. And so I think that's the plan moving forward. And so if you got by with Malik Murphy and you're 2-0, and you're happy. You're smiling. Yeah, you, you're going to go through the lumps and the, the growing pains, but, hey, you're still 2-0. and And I think Sark says it after every presser now, <laughs> after every game. A lot better to be 8-1 and than it is to be sitting at 7-2. and He said something similar after Houston as well and BYU. And so – I, you know, with Murphy, it's just lumps of, of playing a new quarterback. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of a lot of toys. There's a lot of weapons around him. So Malik doesn't necessarily have to do a whole lot. Jonathan Brooks is, is having a Doke Walker Award winning type season. C.J. Baxter was back this week looking good, looking good. He had a nice touchdown run on a fourth down, which I thought was a great call. And so if you can skate by with Malik Murphy and go 2-0 and and then set it up for TCU and, and Quinn Ewers, because Ewers want some revenge on this TCU bunch last year. I'm not going to say it was Connor Stallions, but there was some signal stuff going on in the game last year. And if you don't believe me, go back and rewatch that second half. And so I think Quinn's pissed. I think Quinn's got a little bit of burr in his saddle, and he wants to come out and prove people wrong, even if he's not 100%. 
Oh, that's interesting. So you think that th- there was some s- sign stealing going on with TCU last year? And by the way, you say that knowing that uh, programs are trying to crack the code of the other team. It's just not necessarily always being done to the uh, level that Michigan has now gotten caught with. But you think TCU uh, knew what was coming some of the time? All I'll say is programs are trying to crack the code. And some codes get cracked like Legend of Zelda. Like we're playing Contra on Nintendo. We got like 30 men because of these signs. So TCU went up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA select start, huh? <laughs> Everyone has some form of it, Trey. And I just, uh, I, I think last year was a little little sneaky. So it wasn't just Michigan that was going above and beyond. In- yeah, every school does this to a certain extent. Michigan just takes it to another level because it's Jim Harbaugh. He takes everything to another level. He takes baking cakes for recruits to another level. He takes... <laughs> taking nine tight ends in one cycle to another level. And he'll probably be coaching the Chicago Bears next year at another level, at the next level. And so that's just Michigan being Michigan. But, yeah, every school at some stage, at some point, in some small, large, or medium-sized regard does it. It's not so much sign stealing as it is scouting. At least that's what they call it. Yeah. Well, it's like in Major League Baseball. They're, you know, Teams are trying to figure out the other team's signs and have been for a long time now. It's the length that you go to try and communicate those things or to try and get access to those signs where it starts to become super, super shady. He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas. InsideTexas.com. You just heard him say it. He thinks Quinn Ewers might play this weekend in Fort Worth. We're going to get into that a little bit more on the other side as well as more from Longhorn Football, the Dallas Cowboys, and more. Coming up right here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back with one more segment with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. All right, Justin, you mentioned it last segment. It is the big question of the moment right now for Longhorn fans and folks on the national scene who follow this program. Will Quinn Ewers play against TCU this Saturday? You think that he will. So I guess my first question for you is how healthy is Quinn going to be on Saturday night? And uh, I guess whatever percentage that is, how much better does this make this offense versus what we've seen these last few weeks with Malik in there? Uh, I don't think he's going to be healthy. I I don't think he's going to be 100. uh, Let me rephrase that. I don't think he's going to be 100%. I think he will play in the 70, 80% range. And I think, you know, we got a question on that last night on On Texas Football with Bobby Bird and Rod Babers and myself. Would Quinn Ewers at 70% be better or equal to Malik Murphy at 100%? And it's a really good question. And I think that's what Sark and those guys have actually been asking themselves for the last couple of days. You know, TCU, again, has some good defenders. They have some. They have a strong second. They have a lot of good athletes on that side of the ball. They still have those guys, even though they're not having the best season. And so I, I think the thing with, with Texas is they, they've gotten to this point with Malik Murphy to 2-0. and You got three left. I think this is giving Quinn two, over a little over two weeks to, to rehab, to get things better. I don't think he's going to be 100%, but I think 75% of Quinn – is better than the backups, better than the alternatives at Texas. And again, if this was a, a, a you know 
a five and three team or a four and a four and a four and five team or you know five and four team four and five team something like that I, I think you play the young guys and, and you look forward to the future they have everything in front of them the the big 10 is going to knock one of the other ones out the sec might do that as well so they got a shot for the playoff if they win out and you got to go with your best when yours at 70 75 percent is the best for texas right now that may change over the next few weeks next few months how this song how this you know season plays out but at this point they have got to get to arlington and they have a path to do it they beat the hard tough teams to get there now they have to finish and i think that's why you don't risk it with a with a young quarterback with only two starts under his belt and he's played well in spurts but he's made some bad mistakes in others and then th- these are games you can't afford to, to continue to make those bad mistakes and win in overtime. What do you think the toughest game is left on this schedule? Because all three of these opponents look very beatable. I realize two of them are on the road, but which game worries you the most, Justin? TCU. Now, before the FanDuel scandal, in Ames, I would have probably said Iowa State because they would have had a lot of guys coming back, including Hunter Deckers and, and some starters. And so I probably would have changed my answer. But Matt Campbell has those guys playing hard. They're yeah. playing solid. They're always going to play well. But TCU, listen, this team played for the national championship last year. Okay? It's not that far away. Now, granted, they lost a lot of guys, but they have been recruiting great athletes before Sonny Dykes ever stepped on campus. And that never stopped. And so TCU worries me because, listen, TCU's not having a great season. And they're going to be starting a freshman quarterback in Josh Phillip Rivers Hoover. <laughs> I watched him in high school at Rockwall Heath. He can chunk it. Now, he's a chunker, but he, he, he can sling it. TCU worries me because this will be the biggest win of their, of their year if they, if they can hold off the horns. It's going to be a night game. It's going to be raucous. It's going to be rowdy. TCU worries me, to be honest with you. Going to Ames, I think if they get over TCU, going to Ames isn't going to be that big of a deal. And then hosting Texas Tech, I really feel good about Texas there because Joey McGuire has ran his mouth so much, he's motivated the team on his own. Sark's not even going to have to have a pregame speech in that game. He's just going to roll tape Joey running his mouth. That's all he's going to have to do. And and thank, and thank and they're going to thank the Tech coaches for that because they've literally helped Texas that they've motivated the horns to absolutely thrash tech when they come to town. And that's going to happen. TCU worries me the most. They have sneaky athletes. They have guys that if you don't pay attention to, they can burn you. They've got some playmakers at receiver. They're missing some guys. That's going to be vital. But I think the O-line can be pushed around. I think Texas D-line in the interior, especially with Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat, is just so much to overcome. But out of the three teams, going to Fort Worth on Saturday night to me worries me the most. So our pro football focus college tweet this out a few hours ago that Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are the two highest graded defensive tackles in all of college football this year, which everybody has seen. They've been awesome throughout the course of the season. I didn't realize they had both been that good, though. Is this the best defensive tackle duo since Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers? You know, they, they're making a case. They're making a case. I think I think Frank Ocam and Roderick Wright would have a say. Yeah. I think uh, maybe Ben Alexander and Lamar Houston might have a little say. Malcolm Brown and 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 those guys might have a say. Uh, Hassan Ridgeway, but 
honestly, like these guys are just they're we saw this in the spring. It's like, okay, this is unfair. At some point, you got to call the dogs off when those two guys are inside. They just cause so much havoc. They're so big. They're so strong. They're so violent. And they're both going to play on Sundays and make a pretty nice little living doing that. Uh, I, 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 I would agree with you. I, I'd give them the nod uh, over Roderick Wright and Frank Ocam. That would be my runner-up. But Casey Hampton and Sean Rogers, they, they were the standard over the last 30 years. And Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat – all I can tell you is when offenses come to the line, those are the first two people they always look for. Another member of the defense who has turned heads throughout the course of the season is true freshman Anthony Hill Jr., who is not only still occasionally coming off the edge, but he's playing more traditional linebacker now. And credit to Hill for putting the work in and also his coaches for helping with that overall development. But your colleague at Inside Texas, Paul Wadlington, wrote something interesting in his defensive postmortem from the Kansas State game this last weekend. It's almost like they're trying to do too much with Anthony Hill to show that he can be the stereotypical linebacker, but he is still pretty raw in coverage, and Kansas State exploited that on Saturday. Do you think PK is trying a little bit too hard to shoehorn Anthony Hill in as a linebacker at times where they need to do let him do what he's best at, which is pin his ears back and get after the quarterback, even as he takes uh, overall steps forward in his evolution at the position? You know, Paul makes, you know, Paul, he makes outstanding points. And, 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 that, and this is another one. This is, a good, this is a good question because I think what we're seeing with Anthony Hill, Anthony has the ability to play, play three spots. Middle, will, and, and edge. And don't be surprised if he's your starting middle linebacker next year. Don't be shocked at all. Actually, I would take that prop bet to the bank. So I think PK, one, he's utilizing him because he's so versatile and so athletic. And I think he's ta- he's letting him take his lumps. That's part of the developmental part. You can only take so many reps in practice. Until you start trying stuff in the game, it doesn't apply. And so the fact that they're letting him do so many things shows faith. It shows development. It shows a trust. And I think that's building with Anthony. That's actually building up his confidence. And so that's honestly, I think that they've handled this freshman as as good as anybody because he's pushed. He's the one that's been pushing for time. He's the one making plays in in four or five of the games this year. Yeah. Can he get a little stuck in coverage? Absolutely. He's 18 years old, but that's going to be part of his, his maturation. That's part of his development. And PK, listen, he's athletic, the most athletic backer in the room. You know, him and Mo Blackwell are are definitely the, the two most athletic in that bunch. I think it's just his versatility. I think this is PK's way of molding the next great linebacker at Texas, giving him as much as he can take, seeing what he's good at, seeing what he needs help in. But at the end of the day, he's still playing his best players, and he owes that. These There's a handful of these freshmen, Trey, that have earned they, – they've earned these, these reps. Derek Williams playing more reps at safety than the other ones has earned that. Manny Muhammad at corner has earned that. These guys have, have, have paid their dues. I wouldn't call them freshmen anymore. I would call them members of a pretty good Texas defense. And with Anthony Hill – Paul makes great points, but I feel like here, this is just PK molding his future middle linebacker. This is PK maximizing one of the best prospects in the country last year. And when you enroll early, you're going to be prepared. When you have a dad that played linebacker in college and you were born to play linebacker, 
you're going to be prepared. And so you're going to take, it's like with Murphy, you're going to take some of the lumps because Anthony on, 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 on the normal, Anthony's going to make most of those plays. All right, prediction time, Justin. What do you think happens in Fort Worth this weekend between the Longhorns and Horned Frogs? Well, I hope no one took to heart my pick last week, which I know a lot did. I had Kansas State winning by a field goal. I just didn't feel good. I didn't feel right. Um, I actually think that close call is going to benefit Texas. Hmm. I think TCU is going to come out with hair on fire in the first half. And I think if Texas can get off to the start that they've been getting off to in the last month or so, where they're going up early, quick, and fast, you can take the crowd out. And if you take the crowd out at Amon Carter, there will be, you know, if you can quiet the 19,000 screaming fans that'll pack that stadium, then I think that gives Texas the advantage. I like, I like the horns. I think they get, I think they get past TCU. I think they're still pissed off about what happened last year. And I think they know they were as good of a team, if not better, at that moment. So I'm, I'm taking the horns. I, I like them 35. I like TCU at 14. I think this is a double-digit win. I think Max Duggan was, did a tremendous job for TCU last year. But you're going to ask a true freshman to go against this Texas defense, and I just don't think it's in the cards for the Horn Frogs on Saturday. There he is, Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Check him out on Twitter at JustinWells2424 and hear him on this show for a couple of segments, typically on Wednesdays starting at 6.15. Justin, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Nothing but love, Trey. All right, coming up in Where Are We At in Society. You know we love talking Florida man and where are we at. How about the Florida Man Olympics? Apparently that's about to be a real thing. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling on 1027 ESPN and 1027ESPN.com. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment of today's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. I'm not sure what you classify today as. Typically, I say sadly today is not that day, but I don't know because we're having fun with a concept that has become synonymous with the stad state of, uh, state of the human condition over time, that would be Florida Man. Yes, Florida Man, one of the uh, most infamous people on the planet with the continual antics happening out of America's most flaccid member, the state of Florida. Florida Man is a thing. It's a hashtag. It's a Twitter account. I'm sure it's an Instagram account at this point. I'm sure Florida Man has his own website. Even though Florida Man isn't any one man, but rather the entire male species in Florida and some of the deadbeat lengths they go to in evading arrest or getting out of one thing or another. And well, leave it to somebody in Florida to try and capitalize on this because coming up this February in St. Augustine, Florida, we will get our very first Florida man games that's right it's not quite the olympics but a group of floridians do plan on hosting competitions themed according to the collective antics of the beer loving 
Gator possessing, rap sheet heavy, mullet wearing social media phenomenon known as Florida Man. Organizers of the Florida Man Games described the competition as, quote, the most insane athletic showdown on earth. The games poke fun at Florida's reputation for producing some strange news stories involving guns, drugs, booze, and reptiles, or some combination of the four. Among the contests planned for next February are the evading arrest obstacle course in which contestants jump over fences and through yards while being chased by real-life police officers. The Category 5 cash grab in which participants try to grab as much money in a wind-blowing booth, which is mimicking the regular occurrence of hurricanes happening. And also banks busting open, money flying around everywhere during the hurricanes. And then also beer belly wrestling. Now you can actually go to floridagames.com to find out more info, maybe to sponsor the Florida Man Games, or maybe you have a team that you think would perform well at the Florida Man Games. February 24th at Francis Field in St. Augustine. Other games. Let me see. There's three, four, five that I see. As well as some other contests too. But as far as the actual feats of strength, I mentioned evading arrest obstacle course, the category five cash grab. How about this one? The weaponized pool noodle mud duel. Where contestants are standing on a platform in a pool, yeah, an above-ground pool, that is filled with mud. And they have pool noodles that they're trying to knock one another off of these platforms with. We also have the (laughs) catalytic converter, two bikes, and a handful of copper pipes, race against time. That's right, compete head-to-head in a race that lets you live a day in the life of a Florida man headline where you are racing motorcycles with a bunch of catalytic converters strapped to the back of the bike. Not that you're wondering, but they did a really good job with finding referees for these games because they do have a bit of an American Gladiator feel to them. And kudos to the great American gladiators from years past who are uh, capitalizing on their fame from the 1990s and modern times. I feel like there's three or four different documentaries on the popularity of American gladiators and a lot of messed up stuff happening behind the scenes too and some crazy fun stuff as well. The judges for the Florida Man games are Nitro, a.k.a. Dan Clark, and Lori Fetrick, who you may remember as Ice from the original American Gladiators. There are some other contests as well. Mullet contest. How can you not with the Florida Man games? Florida Man Pinup, which is exactly what it sounds like. Women scantily clad being judged. Probably by a panel of middle-aged old white guys as to who is the best looking. And then we also have Chicken Coop Bingo, 
which is what it says on the website. And let's be honest, we're having to clean it up for the radio waves too. It is chickens number twoing onto a bingo board. This has existed in Austin for a long time, although I feel like it's one of those things that is less a part of Austin culture than it was 10 to 15 years ago. Not everything about old Austin culture is great, right? Maybe this is one of those things that deserves to go by the wayside. But then again, I've never participated in Chicken Bleep Bingo. But Chicken Bleep Bingo is a part of Florida Man Games too. And then we also have the 911 Fight Nights, a brawl of the badges. Where police officers are taking on firefighters. In a brawl of the badges. They're getting in a ring with boxing gloves on. And my money is on the firefighters. It's always fun when we're reminded of Florida Man and just uh, what he provides society on a regular basis. That there is a website you can go to that gives specific stories for every day of the year. Where a guy in Florida was busted for doing something stupid. FloridaManBirthday.org. It's as simple as that. I'm there right now. For instance, we can go to my birthday. Florida Man, January 12th. A man from Florida was accused of beating the golfer. Excuse me. A man from Florida first tried to steal the balls from the golf course and then beat an old man playing golf. The man who was arrested for assault and theft was sent to prison. Guy's name, Tyler Durden, now wait a second. This sounds like it's made up. Tyler Durden was from Fight Club. I don't necessarily believe you, FloridaManBirthday.org. Let's try this one. What is today's date? November 8th. Florida man clashed with police after a lengthy chase but escaped arrest. The incident took place in Dale County, Alabama. Wait a second. This guy isn't a Florida man either. It's an Alabama man, which is very close relation to Florida man. All right, let's try December 25th then. Florida man seriously injured someone listening to loud music. The incident took place in the city of Boca Raton, which is part of Palm Beach County. A Florida man shot and seriously injured a man for listening to loud music. The shooter was captured by the victim's relatives. When the deputies arrived at the scene, the man was arrested. The victim was taken to the hospital. The man from South Florida is responsible for what happened on Christmas Eve. Zachary Makata started yelling at another man for listening to loud music. Then an argument broke out between the two men. At first, the discussion seemed innocent, but it didn't end so well. We actually have a modern Florida man story to bring you too. Technically, this happened a couple months ago, but I'm just now seeing it, so guess what? Counts as today's Florida man story. A Florida man is facing charges after police say he may have been attempting to poison his neighbors by injecting chemicals under the front door of their apartment. Undercover videos show 36-year-old Zooming Lee allegedly sticking a syringe under his neighbor's front door and injecting a liquid into the Tampa Bay apartment. Umar Abdullah, 36, lives inside that apartment with his wife and one-year-old daughter. He says that for more than a month, a chemical smell in their home was making the family sick. The symptoms included a headache worse than a migraine, nausea, shortness of breath, drowsiness, and hair loss. My goodness. Suspicious of the odor, Abdullah hid a camera inside a plant facing his front door. 
He says he was shocked to capture Lee, his downstairs neighbor, on video. Quote, we never expected anyone to do something. A neighbor we knew by face, at least for a year, so we were horrified. We were shaking. He says that he and his neighbor were having disagreement over noise complaints that started shortly after his daughter was born. After seeing the video, he called police, who sent out the hazmat team to investigate. They found methadone and hydrocodone when they tested some sort of liquid. Quote, if you look at him, he's holding his breath so he knows the hazardous nature of the chemical. Lee was arrested on six charges, including multiple counts of battery, aggravated stalking, and dispersing a chemical agent. He was a doctorate student in the University of South Florida's chemistry department, oh boy, and was enrolled in the summer session. He's pleading not guilty on all charges. As you can understand, the Abdullah family, they're pretty upset about things. Yeah, I mean, you hate to blame the victim here. I'm not blaming the victim for the record, but you also have to understand what you may be dealing with as a resident of Florida, and that would be Florida man. Even an unorthodox Florida man like Zooming Lee. And that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thanks to Justin Wells for hopping on to talk some Longhorn football. We will be back tomorrow at 6. That may include a conversation with the hilarious actor Ed Begley Jr. He's got a new memoir out. I spoke with him about it a few days ago. I think I'm bringing you that conversation in two parts tomorrow at 6.15. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elliott.